The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. We began this journey uh, some months ago on Easter Sunday, actually, going through the book of John. We're going to continue for the better part of the next year, and uh, we're painting a picture of who Jesus is. We're actually looking at a picture painted uh, by a guy named John, one of the closest friends, one of the disciples of Jesus. And today we're going to see something that we've not yet seen. We're going to see Jesus. Uh, right now we've heard a lot of words about who Jesus is. We've seen a few short phrases from Jesus. But today we're going to look in what many call one of the first sermons uh, from the mouth of Jesus himself to the religious uh, of the day. And there's a lot of depth here. There's a lot for us to uh, process. And so my encouragement, as always is that you don't, don't only just listen to what I have to teach, but that you go back and study the scriptures for yourself. You read these, you pray that God opens you up your heart uh, for the Holy Spirit to bring understanding to what we're reading, and, uh, and that we then, as we look into the mirror of the scriptures, we adjust our life as we start to see where we're out of alignment with who he is and the kind of life he wants us to live. And so, as I begin to process um, and prepare to read you the words, I want to, no one denies that we live in a culture of tolerance, where we want to be respectful and in many ways accepting of each one's beliefs. There are many different beliefs, there are many different ways of looking at life, and in some ways it feels loving and understanding to do so. Jesus today is going to share some words that might be offensive. Well, not might, but definitely are offensive. He's going to share some words today that lead a group of people to not only want him out of the way, but want to kill him. Up till now, we've seen a lot of people attracted to this guy, Jesus, because, man, he has a way of stirring and creating, stirring up a mess and creating a scene. We've seen him perform some really cool magic tricks like turning water into wine. We've seen him perform some healings. We've even seen him get upset and flip over some tables. And, um, and so every, Jesus is having a way of, of drawing attention to himself. But we're going to see Jesus on some of the things that he's being accused of. Last week we saw him go back to the city of Jerusalem during time of a great festival. There were many crowds there. And Jesus intentionally does everything that he does. There's a purpose. There's nothing random. And on this particular day, Saturday, this day of the Sabbath, he performs a healing. And instead of celebrating and rejoicing, the religious people of the day don't look at the miracle and see this 38-year-old or, or a, an older man who struggled for 38 years with some uh, illness, some, some tragic situation, uh, a paraplegic, all of a sudden be healed, and at the mention of a command, get up, carry your bed. He's able to do so. And while he's walking around and, and excited that he finally gets to go to the temple, he leaves the pool of Bethesda where he is, and he walks to the temple, and the religious leaders say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And instead of being like, oh my goodness, how is it that you're walking? 
how is it that you have all of a sudden strength to be able to carry your bed? They look at him and go, whoa, you're breaking the law. It's the Sabbath day. You're not allowed to carry your bed. They don't even ask him how he was healed or who healed him. They're just so concerned with this law and, and the twi- way they've twisted the laws of God to, to suit their own means that they miss the miraculous work that God has done. And Jesus purposefully allowed this to happen. He could have waited till Sunday or Monday, but he did this on the Sabbath to stir up a conversation. And he's going to take this conversation to a deep place. And my hope is that our hearts are really ready to receive this. We live in a culture that wants the loving, caring, peaceful Jesus. We live in a culture that has a lot of different religions that see Jesus as a great teacher, a great philosopher, a great example. He loved all, that all are equal in his sight, that his love is unconditional. We we live in a culture that loves the loving Care Bear Jesus. But as soon as they see the Jesus that is exclusive, the Jesus that is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, as soon as they see the Jesus that says, if you love me, you will let me lead you in how you live your life, that's where the brakes are put on. That's where we say, you know, we're glad that you love others and you heal others, but please don't try to tell me how to live my life. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so we're going to see Jesus not just be willing to sit by and let people be amazed by his great love and his powerful miracles. He's going to call people to ultimate surrender or to nothing. So, let's dive in and see where this takes us. Last week, he healed the guy. They, the religious, the, the Pharisees questioned, hey, where did this come from? Why are you carrying your bed? Oh, it's not my fault. The guy who healed me told me to carry. Who, who told you to carry your bed? Oh, it's this guy, Jesus. They come up to Jesus. Afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple. He said to the man, see, you are well. Now go and sin no more. We pointed out last week that every healing, every good deed, every act of kindness is for a purpose. A sign points us where to go. The miracles are signs. And Jesus said, you're well, therefore go and sin no more. I've healed you so that you will know that I am the Lord. Now follow me. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, verse 16, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, my father is working. They weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. For those of you that were here last week, you you heard me talk about an elevator I went on uh, in Israel on the Sabbath day. I get on this elevator during the Sabbath day and I go to push button five because I was on the fifth floor and it won't. It won't light up. I'm like, is this broken? And somebody whispers to me and says, it's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to push buttons. Seriously. All the buttons were deactivated. And if you didn't like that, you could use the Gentile elevator. 
the buttons work there. Otherwise, you were going to learn patience because the elevator still worked. You just waited. It went one. It went to every floor and stopped, and you got off when it eventually got to your floor. I'm not very patient, so I didn't use the elevator anymore. But the point here is that these men had made the law of God something God never intended it to be. And so they ask him, you know, by what authority? Who gives you the right to do this? And he uses the words, my father. Every time that Jesus addresses the father in heaven, except for one time in scriptures, he uses the term my. My father. Ownership. There's one time that he doesn't say my and he says our. You all know where that is? Our father who, there you go. When he's teaching them how to pray. But Jesus intentionally is not just saying, hey, guys, we're all children of God and God wants us doing this. Jesus is using a phrase that is very intentional, my father. And the Jews know what he's saying because this even makes them more upset. And you're going to see that in a minute. My father is working until now and I am working. There are I am statements throughout the book of John, several of them. Um, And they are intentional. God is known as the great I am. And for anyone else to say that about themselves, blasphemy, heresy, you're going to be executed. No one is equal with God. They don't like these words. And so look what happens, verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. We have a God who wants us to see him and not cower at this all-supreme power and and fear, but instead stand before him in awful respect and awesome awe of who he is and how great he is. And Jesus says, the things I'm about to reveal to you, the things you've already seen and the greater things that are to come, I want you to see them and I want you to marvel at them. I want you to truly understand who I am and begin to have your heart transformed so that your life becomes a life of worship. Look at the words we read that we passed over quickly. Jesus is pointing out that he is in perfect alignment and he shares the perfect identity with God the Father in both will and in action. They both have the same agenda, the same mission. But don't hear me wrong. Jesus is not just a faithful, obedient son that is obeying the commands of the Father. That's the hope for all of you children that you would honor your parents, that you would obey them. 
But Jesus is going a step further. He's not just saying, oh, I'm just being a faithful, obedient follower of the Father. He's saying, whatever the Father does, I also do. He's not saying, God has a mission for all of us and we should work hard to fulfill it. He is literally saying that whatever. In monotheistic theology, there are a few things that are intended as characteristics and attributes for God and God alone. The ability to give and take away life is one of those key things. Only God. Ask anybody who is a, a Muslim or, or those Jews who, who believe in, in, in the God of the Old Testament. They believe that life, the giving of life, the taking of life, the extending of life, is for God and God alone. The second attribute is judgment. The only being in all of the universe who has the right to judge me and the way I've lived, what I've done, what I think, what I do, how I, how I, how I have my heart's attitude, the only person who can judge me is God. These two things, anybody in Islam or Judaism will tell you they are only for God and God alone. Look what Jesus does. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he will. The Jews standing there that day, the religious elite, are hearing these words, and they are being pierced to the heart. Their anger is growing. This man is claiming to be able to give life and raise the dead. Four times in the scriptures, we're going to see Jesus bring life to those who are dead. In John chapter 14, we're going to see him in an encounter with one of his close friends, a man named Lazarus. The day before... Or, or the, a couple days before, two weeks ago, we studied it. Jesus went to his own hometown where his own people were rejecting him. They simply wanted to see a sideshow. What's he going to do next? And yet uh, an official who, doesn't, who isn't a Jew, who, who doesn't even know this man Jesus or the prophecies and teachings about him, but is compelled and drawn to seek him out because he believes he has the ability to give life. And this official comes to Jesus and says, my son is about to die. Will you please heal him? And from 20 miles away, Jesus says, go, your son is alive and will be well. In chapter 14, he's going to delay his going. He gets news. He waits a couple more days before he even travels. This upsets the sisters, Mary and Martha. When Jesus arrives, they show up to Jesus and they're like, if only you had been here sooner, our brother would not have died. And, and Jesus says, your, your brother will live. He will, he will be raised again. She says, I know, I know he will. In the last day, there will be a resurrection. Yes, uh, you've taught us that. We believe that. And he says, no. There isn't just a future resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. 
she doesn't quite understand where he's going with this. And he says, take me to the stone. Take me to where you buried him. And she's like, Lord, he's been dead four days. By now, he stinketh. That's what the King James says. In, in Jewish culture, there was this belief that somehow your spirit lingered around your body the first three days of death and that you could possibly be raised again. But Jesus intentionally says, I did what I've done so that you would marvel, so that you would see God show up today and believe in me that there isn't just a future resurrection. I am here now. I am resurrection. I am life. See what I'm about to do and put your trust in me. He walks up. The stone is rolled away. Lazarus, come forth. A man dead four days comes back to life. Jesus is sitting here and not saying that, yes, God is the author of life. God is the one who gives life, and I am a channel. He doesn't say that. He says, God gives life, but I too, the Son of God, give life, and I give it to whomever I will. The next thing he says, verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Only God can judge. Well, I'm here to tell you that the Father does not judge. I'm here. And I decide. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he does. He loves the whole world. He gave his son. Because of his great love for us, he gave his son, knowing that his son was the only one who could save the world. His son went to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him and what he did will not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on in verse 17 and 18 to tell us that we are condemned already if we do not believe. The son comes not to condemn but to rescue and to save. What we do with the son determines what will happen to us with eternity. The Son is here to give life. The Son has the authority to judge all. Every single one of us. He's not just one way. He's not just one good teacher. He is the way, the life. Verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John Piper, a um, former pastor and great theologian, was asked in an interview if he believed that the Jews and those who believe in Islam, if if they worship the same God as Christians, do we all worship the same God? To which John Piper said, by the word worship, you mean honor? Like, are you asking, do we all honor the same God? Do we all honor? I mean, in order to worship, you would have to honor, right? And the 
interviewer said, sure, sure, if you want to put it that way, then I have to say no. We don't honor this honor the same father because scriptures teach that if you don't honor the son, you don't honor the father. It's impossible to worship God if you don't know Jesus. And that may sound harsh, but it's truth. And that truth is what brought Jesus to the cross. What else could be more harsh? We're not trying to be mean. We are trying to be loving and saying there is a truck coming right at you. And if you don't wake up and see it coming, you will die. That's not harsh. That's love. But too many of us want to stand behind the fear of I might offend them. Nothing could be any less loving than to withhold the truth. If you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come that one who believes my word, that one who puts his belief in me, he doesn't come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. John 3, 17, 18 tells us we stand judged and condemned already. Each of us are born with sin in our lives, separated from a God who loves us. And Jesus came to bridge that gap that we cannot bridge on our own. There is no one who can do enough good to earn God's favor. Jesus had to take all of our sin and brokenness upon himself, offer up his perfect and sinful life in exchange for ours to give us new life. We cannot do anything to receive it. Salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, not by works so that no one can Whoever hears my word, Jesus says, and believes in him, God, who sent me, the Son, has eternal life. Do you believe in the Son? If not, you do not know God. And there is a time coming that Jesus is about to mention when you will be raised deal with the judgment that is upon you already. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but passes from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself and has granted the Son also to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. That phrase, Son of Man, if you have time on your own, 
go and study the book of Daniel. There's a prophecy there that talks about only the Son of Man. It's, it's also echoed in Revelation that at the end of time, one who has suffered, the Lamb of God who was slain, will have the ability to judge the one who has become the Son of Man. Jesus is grabbing those prophecies, the one not yet written and the one in the book of Daniel, and saying, I am He. I am God in flesh, the Son of Man, who has the ability to judge all. And what you do with me determines the hour where you will go in that hour that is coming. There is an hour coming, but it is also now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. I don't know who was the first to say this, but I heard it. We are all, we are all dead men walking. We are all born spiritually dead. And it isn't until through the power of the Holy Spirit that we hear the voice of God in our life that brings us to life. And Jesus is here before them saying, you are dead. You think you can find life by studying the scriptures you've studied when the scriptures all along are pointing you to me and you are failing to see it. If you would hear my voice, you would come and find life. An hour is coming when all who are dead will hear the voice. For the Father has given him life in himself and granted the Son also to have life. He has given him the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. But don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, not just believers, there is a time coming when all who are in the tombs will be raised. There is a time coming when Julius Caesar will be raised. There is a time coming when Johann Sebastian Bach will be raised. There is a time coming when Hitler will be raised. Marilyn Monroe, President Kennedy, Princess Diana, Michael Jackson, Ted Kennedy, and even you. We will all be raised by the voice of the Son of God. And we will all stand before the great white throne judgment. And Jesus will judge us based on what we did with He, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. And it doesn't matter how many good works you've done. They will not be enough if you did not know the Son. Oh, but wait, we did so many things. We, we helped so many people. We healed the sick. We visited those in prison. We fed the hungry. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. If we do not honor the Son, we do not honor the Father. It doesn't matter how many great acts we do in the name of God. If we do not know Jesus, it all is worth nothing. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to resurrection of life 
and those who have done evil to resurrection of judgment. I'm not saying that those who have done good will earn their way to heaven. That is not what is being said here. When you compare this to the other things that Jesus will teach in John chapter 15, Jesus will make it clear that even our good works are not able to be brought of of ourselves. Jesus calls himself the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But a part of me, being connected to me, you will produce the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. These are produced from the Spirit living in us as we are connected to the Son. These good works are evidence in our file, if you will. There will be some who are in heaven who, as Jesus looks through our file, he will see a, a point at which we gave our life to him and the Holy Spirit's transformation that produced fruit in our life. Jesus said you will know them by the fruits. And there are those who will pass the judgment. How do we know if we're on the right path? Look at your life. Do you have a love and a desire to follow after Jesus? Do you have a desire to grow in the knowledge of who he is? And while you may struggle over sinful habits and and temptations and things that have a hold in your life? Is there a drive inside of you to want to put those things and cast those things aside to pursue him, even though you fall over and over again? A righteous man falls seven times and continues to try and get back up. Do you have this desire to grow, to know him, to follow after him? This is the evidence of the spirit renewing you from the inside out, of his of God depositing in you his spirit that will begin to transform you and sanctify you into the child he's calling you to be. Listen to me. If you're here this morning and you don't have a plan to follow him, you don't really have a desire to want to know him more, You aren't sure you want to submit to all of his ways. Then you may not be a Christian. And unfortunately, our churches are full with a lot of people who have got wrapped into the good things churches do. A lot of people love a Jesus that heals and that we can pray to like a genie in a bottle but you really want me to follow him and submit my life to his? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. If you don't want Jesus in your life, if you're not, if the Holy Spirit is not producing in you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, if, if the Holy Spirit is not producing inside you a desire to want to know more of him, then you may not be born again. 
my hope and prayer is that you would look at the Son of God as your Lord. That you would open up your heart to receive Him and all that He has to bring. That we would align our hearts and our life in line with who He is. going to cover the next 17 verses in about three minutes. Jesus closes this sermon by saying, here's the proof that I have the authority to say what I've just said. I am God in flesh. I have healed on the Sabbath because I created the Sabbath. I have the ability to give life, to take life, to judge what you do with me will determine the rest of your life after this life on earth. Verse 32. He's going to point out quickly four witnesses. If I were to say all these things, verse 30 and 31, if I were to just be the only one to tell you these things, sure, you could write me off as some lunatic. But I don't just testify on behalf of myself. The first thing you have to see is there is this thing called the Holy Spirit. There is another who testifies on my behalf. We're going to learn more about this in John 14, 15, and 16. Don't have time to get into it more this morning. But there is a witness, another, who will testify, who will speak to your hearts like nobody else can. No one can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. You here today, the Holy Spirit is wooing you. He is drawing you. He is reaching out to you to draw you and point you to Jesus. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know the testimony that he bears about me, and it is true. The second witness is a man named John, not the guy writing this book, but my cousin, John the Baptist. He bore witness to the truth of who I am. Not that that testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. You accepted him. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And they were hoping for the Messiah. John the Baptist was saying the Messiah is coming. They were under Roman rule, and they were ready to be set free. They wanted the Messiah that would come and put on a great show and and let them live life the way they wanted to live it. And so Jesus is saying, that guy that you were praising for a while, he was telling you about me. Verse 37, for sake of time, please go and read the whole thing later on your own. Verse 37, first of all, there's the Holy Spirit who bears witness about me. There is John the Baptist who who reveals truth about me. Verse 36, I don't want to skip 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that, simply the words of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me and that the Father has sent me. Even Nicodemus saw this in John chapter 3. Nicodemus approached Jesus and said, you aren't, there's no way you can just be a good teacher because the works you're doing prove that you must be from the Father. Jesus says, the works you've seen me do and even greater works are coming. They point to who I am. And the fourth witness, 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice 
you have never heard, and his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. These men had memorized the entire Torah. They studied the scriptures, and Jesus is going to say, you study the scriptures thinking they themselves can save you, but the scriptures themselves tell you and point you to me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, verse 39. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one that's already accused you. Moses. They love Moses. They love Moses' teachings. These are fighting words that Jesus is throwing out. He is offending them upright, north, south, east, west, every way you can think of, Jesus is laying down the truth. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. But if you were to believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? Today, the message is clear. Jesus is God. The Trinity can be hard to understand. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to teach about that this morning. But they are one. They are equal. They are different beings having different wills, different personalities. There is some divine way that they work together, submitting uh, to one another. And yet they are one, and yet they are God. They are equal. And if you do not know the Son, you do not know the Father, and you do not have life. C.S. Lewis, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm going to try and paraphrase his quote. Because I don't have my phone. Snapshot of it. I can't find it. Oh, it's Facebook Live. (laughs) That's hilarious. The quote basically says this. It's a paraphrase. My words are not as eloquent as his. You can either discard Christianity as worthless if it's not true. But if it is true, then it is the most important thing in the world. You can either discard it or you can set it as the most important. There is no room for moderate Christianity. Jesus cannot just be your genie in a bottle. He is either nothing or he must be your Lord. There is no room for him just to be a moral good, philosophical teacher. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Who is Jesus to you? If you do not know the Son, you cannot know the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord Jesus, I know that we live in a world where there are many truths. We live in 
want to love and understand and appreciate and accept and respect all who believe whatever they believe. But the truth is, is there can only be one truth. And you are truth. And so I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those hearing these words today, that their hearts would be opened and drawn by you to put their faith and trust in you as the one and only God who loved us so much that you did not consider equality with the Father something to hold on to, but you let go of it becoming one of us, a servant, even to the point of giving up your life on a cross for us in our place. That if we confess with our mouth that we are sinners and confess our need for you, our Savior, if we call out to you as Lord, and believe in our heart that you were raised from the dead to give us new life. That you will make us new. You will save us and call us your own. Father God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never done that, that they would submit their life to you here now today. And God, I pray that you would give those of us who, who know you, who trust in you, a boldness and a courage and the ability to speak truth in love to those who have not yet heard or understood it. That all would come to know you, our Savior and Father in heaven. Come and have your way in us, your children. In your name I pray, amen.